a creation of oneness and connection. And that that's what it is to be human, is to connect. I think that's what I'm constantly striving for. Hey, streamers and dreamers. I am Kike Lomo, and you are listening to another episode of our Electronic Beats Conversation series. This is where you find in-depth interviews with some of our favorite people in music right now. And I must say, I am very excited about this episode in particular. For this Electronic Beats conversation, I went to London to talk to one of the most brilliant minds in house music and beyond, Jada G. In case you've never heard of Jada G, she brings outstanding talent to many worlds. In 2021, Jada's single, Both of Us, was nominated for a Grammy as Best Dance Recording. She's done remixes for two of the biggest pop stars right now, Dua Lipa and Taylor Swift. And not only is she an amazing producer and DJ who spins house, disco, soul and R&B, she's also very vocal about climate change, which makes sense as she's a trained biologist with a focus on environmental toxicology. In her songs, she often samples nature sounds and refers to issues such as how our behavior as humans affects the environment. I mean, she called her debut album Significant Changes after all. That's the phrase she used the most in her master's thesis about how we as humans affect the Salish Sea killer whales. Her second album, Guy, is set to drop in June, and Jada has been exploring new facets of her personality. Guy is a deep dive into her childhood in a small town in rural Canada, the story of her family and their African-American heritage. For the creation of the album, Jada revisited hours and hours of footage from her dad that he recorded in the months before he passed away when Jada was just a teenager. So in this Electronic Beats conversation, Jada G and I talk through her most personal album yet, the path that led her there, and how her background as a scientist influences her music to this day. We also touch on her one and only gig as a wedding DJ. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I am currently in London. Um, my name is Kike Lomo, and I'm here sitting with the lovely Jada G. Welcome, welcome. Oh, hi. <laughs> hi. How's it going? I'm doing pretty good. Really good, happy to be know. here. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here too. Um, yeah, we have like a little mutual, not a little mutual friend. Let's put some respect on Synthaja's name. Shout out yeah. to Synthaja. A queen. Shout out to my Sindhu. Oh my goodness. Always shout out. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to be in conversation with the, in the next hour, over the next hour, just talking through your process, who you are, your music, just just having a general little chit chat as we I like to it. do. You know? I'm into it. I'm here. Um, so, like, I guess for those who don't know much about you, who are you? Where have you come from? Uh, what's been your journey through um, oh getting into music? You know? Yeah. No. Gosh, how did I get into music? What was my journey? Um, I guess the the short version would be that I started off in biology and ecology and that was my trajectory. I was going to become a professor. That was like my my main goal. And meanwhile, I'm a huge nerd for music and like learning to DJ while doing my master's. And then Next thing you know, I was DJing more than I was doing my master's and then I was touring. It was like one of those things that, yeah, where life kind of took a hold of me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's kind of, it's through all my passions, but Mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of how it (laughs) began at least. (laughs) Did you ever have moments where you were like, hmm, like when you were standing at this crossroads of like, do I want to continue this track of becoming a professor? Do I want to do this DJing thing? (laughs) No, that I remember really clearly actually one of my professors and um, I was telling him about how I was DJing on the side and how it was really fun. I got this 
opportunity to play overseas and blah, blah, blah. And I was going to go. And he's like, you're going to have to make a choice. Mm. And I was like, oh, the foresight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and it, of course, like, I'm like, no, I don't. I don't have to make a choice. What are you talking about? I don't have to choose. And then, yeah, a couple years down the line, I had to choose. Mm. It, it Like, I... I'd like to think I could do both, but there's not two of me. So mm. <laughs> how did you make the decision? Honestly, I really do believe that the train only passes you once. Mm. And I have so many peers where I've seen the train passing them and they didn't get on. Mm. And then you spend your whole life trying to chase that train. Mm. And I was just like, no, I'm going to make the most of this now. Um, you know, academia will always be there, you mm. know. So, but this might not. So that was kind of the thinking behind it, if you will. So, mm. yeah. and I guess, I mean, here we are. Like, how long have you been doing this now for? <laughs> oh, um, I've been touring internationally since like late 2015, 2016. Okay. So almost like coming up to 10 years. Oh, I know. So it does crazy. not feel like that. Because I just like feel like I lost two years with COVID and oh, stuff, yeah. you know. So. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> and do you feel and at any point like... Um, I mean, do you, do you ever see yourself going back to academia? Or oh my gosh. <laughs> I think at this point, I'm more concentrating on how to bring them together. Mm. Like, how can I bring my love of nature and my love for music in, in one thing? Mm. So, and, yeah. And how about the feeling of, or more so, because I know for, from my perspective, I kind of had a similar route, like I, kind of similar to you. I studied engineering, so also master science. And I was like, oh, let, let me do this like DJ thing. It's cute. I like music. Yeah. I like sharing it and whatnot. <laughs> um, and then I was like, like doing it on the side, like maintaining a double life. Yeah. And then like the double started to like shrink a lot uh -huh. more and a lot more. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like <laughs> the sleepless nights, the like constant like, oh, hey, can yeah. I take time off to do this? And yeah. But sometimes, and I, I know it's something that um, can be true for a lot of DJs as well. When you do something um, that's originally was your passion, but then becomes almost your full-time job, sometimes you, you should, it's find, kind of hard to find that balance. Oh my goodness. You know, and yeah, I, I was thinking, totally. wondering what your experience was with that in terms of making sure that, you know, music still is a passion and not no. just like, oh, you know. <laughs> totally. No, I, I, I'd have to be truthful. It's a struggle. Like... Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that if I think back to like why I started and the feelings I got when I started, you know, it doesn't feel like that anymore. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you just said, it's been almost 10 years of touring. So it's not supposed to feel the same. Mm -hmm. You know, it's supposed to grow and shift and change. And it's a relationship. And that's the same for any relationship. They grow, they shift, they change. And you have to figure out like, for me, it's about finding new ways of falling back in love with music. Mm. Yeah. What would be those ways? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think the biggest way is taking time for myself. Mm. It was a big way of me to procrastinate. <laughs> <laughs> so like when I was studying, I would just like be sitting in my room or wherever just looking at music. Mm. And if I actually take the time to really sit and just enjoy listening to music and really getting into the flow of looking in like looking and finding music versus like going in with it with a purpose does that make sense mm. you know like where you're just kind of like 
free floating on the internet and just like listening to stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know, that's when I can find it. And then I find, and especially listening to mixes. I listen to mixes while I work out mm. a lot. And that helps as well, like to kind of imagine and be in kind of like the, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, how do I describe it? It's kind of you go into your own safe space when you're listening to the mixes or to the music when I'm working out. Mm. And that kind of leads me into the space that I want to be in when I'm playing. So, okay. And have you found that your relationship with music has changed at all? Not just through with not just DJing, but music specifically? Because I know that oh, sometimes, yeah. and even for me going out, I'm like, if I hear a track, I'm like, track ID. <laughs> What's oh. that track? Like, I literally like, can't survive. Like, I must I know, think I know? always was like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was always like, what is this song? I need it in my life all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I've, I've just been always a real nerd for it. Mm. And I just love going to shows and listening to songs that I I know and love and also hearing new stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've just been a nerd from that for that even before I was DJing. So mm-hmm. I don't think that has changed. Yeah, don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon <laughs> either. <No. laughs> Where do you think the, the nerdiness came from? The, oh the, my gosh. <laughs> um, if you just met baby Jada, <laughs> you would understand. Um, yeah, no, I think like, I, I was always like a really curious kid and a real honest kid. And I just, I don't know, I guess it's just like my parents really reinforcing to me be, being myself. Mm. Um, but I was, you know, pretty pudgy, big, thick glasses. I still have big, thick glasses. Yes. Just no one sees them. <laughs> um, braces, pigtails, frizzy hair, yeah. you know, it's just, it was... I definitely, and also I was like the only kid of color in, well, yeah, pretty much in my hometown, definitely the only black kid. Mm. And it just, I don't know, like you just, and also I I do have siblings, but they're a lot older than me. So I spent a lot of time as kind of an only child. Mm. So I think with like being not looking like everyone else and being alone a lot, you kind of just like learn to go into your own safe space and then you just I love learning as well so I don't know the nerdiness I think those two things coming together mm. yeah amazing <laughs> and I, I think I've, I I did a watch a few of your interviews in this industry and you always reference like your parents as yeah. musical influences your dad being a radio DJ shout out to him <laughs> I, like, I'm always, I always have a soft spot for, for radio hosts <laughs> as well I'm like always exquisite taste and like your mom blasting classical music throughout yeah, like opera exactly. as well. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, with the genres of music that you play, like it's so broad in a sense, but there's almost like a soulfulness that ties it all together. Yeah, and, you got it pretty you know, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but sometimes, particularly, you know, working in maybe the more electronic space, you can find that people want to almost put you in a box or be like, what do you play? You oh, know, yeah, for sure. One thing, you know? totally. How do you maintain that authenticity of your sound of like appealing to oh, uh, connect with all the music that you, you like? I, you, know? you know, that's actually a good question. Um, it's kind of hard to describe. I feel like there's an essence in a song that pulls me towards it. Mm. And that has to be the number one reason that I'm playing it. Mm-hmm. It's not because this is a hit song or that everyone else is playing it or that I was told to play it or I have to feel a connection with the track in mm-hmm. some shape or form. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of 
the the yeah best way I can say it. Okay, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and with you growing up in such a small town, a rural town, kind of what's the name of the town? Grand Forks. Grand Forks. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Grand um, Forks, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. Did they have a hockey team? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> we did, and then I think they sold the team. Oh, okay. It was, but it was the the oh my gosh, the Border Bruins, and they had the most number of consecutive losses oh. in hockey <laughs> history. So like, yeah, it's, okay. Um, but you can own that, you know, lose yeah, your grace. Whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> why not why not um, I mean I guess yeah growing up in a small town in Canada um, how did you hone your musical taste because like I've listened to some of your mixes I've seen had the pleasure of seeing you play you've got some deep cuts you know like <laughs> let's put some respect on Jada's name like Aww, you know your stuff you. and so, but like how, how did you connect with that type of music or all the types of music that you listen to and play like in in that setting no uh, it's a lot to do with my parents like my my parents really worked hard to make sure that I understood that there was a world outside of Grand Forks like they they chose Grand Forks because it was safe and it had a lot of the values that they had in terms of like being close to nature small community you could build a community um and the safety aspect again and yeah, but they definitely wanted to make sure that I knew there was a world outside of little old Grand Forks. Mm. So my my parents would take me to shows a lot. Like mm-hmm. we would go to jazz festivals. Um, my dad loved blues. So we would go to like a lot of blues concerts and mm-hmm. stuff. And like when I say going to concerts, like this was a whole like two-day ordeal, like (laughs) where you'd have to drive like three hours to the venue and then spend the night and you know what I mean? So it was like quite the family outing and it wasn't something that was super often, but it was was done purposefully for sure. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) How big of an impact would you say that your father had on your early music? Oh, huge, huge, huge impact. Like, yeah, he... He was the one who brought a lot of soul into the house. And I think, you know, there he was the only black man in town and pretty much the only person who probably listened to that kind of music in town because mm. I think, yeah, the, the genre of music that's the most prevalent is country music. So, mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, he he loved, he was obsessed with music like how I'm obsessed with music. Mm. And like, I remember us having... Like oh, these memories. This is like back when, you, when you bought when you bought music, it was like through a catalog. Mm. <laughs> so we like sit over like the catalog and be like looking through like together. That was something we always did together. And then, you know, waiting for the CDs to arrive and then listening to to them. And and my father was also like the person who always made sure the music was on when we'd have like parties and such. And mm. he was very much like just loved music and yeah it was it was a big part of my upbringing yeah Mm. amazing (laughs) and then so from from a rural town in Canada you then took your next steps to where where did you study oh yeah um I went to Kingston Ontario to study at Queen's University University. was that a culture shock in terms of like size of city and stuff like that um not at that point because It's kind of random, but I spent a year in Calgary, Alberta Mm -hmm. um, when I was 15. But yeah, it was a shock in the sense of the like different types of people, I think. Mm -hmm. Like 
I don't know, a lot of private school kids go to Queen's University. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was a really different kind of like class demographic, let's mm-hmm. just say. And I really noticed that. And it, and I found it quite, I found it difficult in some ways to be there. Um, a big part of why I went to that university is because I, I got a scholarship to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like being in Canada and the States, like mm-hmm. you're just like, that's, if you want to go to university, you got to find scholarships. That's mm-hmm. just how it goes. Because so. the price is pricing. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so that was the main reason I went. And yeah, but at the same time, like when I reflect back on those four years, I it really allowed me or taught me how to find friends where friends weren't obvious. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And like finding who your actual people are. Mm-hmm. And the group of girls that like I met there are still like my closest friends today. Amazing. Like yeah. So it was a funny time going to Queens, <laughs> but I'm definitely thankful for it. Okay. And we actually didn't talk about it. Where did your love of science come from? Oh, yeah. No, um, a big part of it was actually my high school teachers. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, Grand Forks Secondary School. Like, the <laughs> you know, teachers were, you know, some were interesting, but uh, as you can imagine with being in a small town, but the like the few science teachers we had were really passionate about science mm-hmm. and they also really want to make sure we, kind of like my parents, like they want to make sure we had experiences that were outside of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me also with my parents, like being really into the outdoors. Like me and my dad would camp a lot. We like lived on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere and, you know, like surrounded by trees and nature. And I was really encouraged to be in nature. And with our science teachers, like we would go, we would you know, do fundraising to do like field trips that were on the coast, like Vancouver Island, where we could visit a science uh, research center, things Mm. like that, and like learn what researchers are doing out there. there. And experiences like that really, really stuck with me Mm. um, to the point where I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Okay. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. And you said, how did you settle on your specific field of of study? Oh, gosh. Um, I think with most people, like you start off in one path and you just kind of slowly figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) So like I knew I was going to go into biology Mm. and that's where I started. And um, yeah, I just kept going in and then eventually specialized in, for my undergrad, specialized in evolutionary biology. um, And I worked in a herpetology lab. So with reptiles and birds, I've worked with like almost every animal you could think wow. of like like that's a whole nother like side <laughs> and life to me any um, favorites any favorite animals that you oh gosh <laughs> um i think top would be uh oh gosh that's really hard <laughs> um i really liked working with the seals like we mm. worked with like harbor seals um so we'd work with like baby harbor seals Aww. oh my gosh and but it was like like this is like Sometimes biology is really the wild west. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like super controlled. That's I think what you quickly learn. Yeah, you it's, can't control, you can't like tell a seal like no, okay, no. you need to chill out. It's like some crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff. But yeah, the seals were pretty awesome because they're also so darn cute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh yeah, that I could go for days about those kind of stories. But yeah, and then after like my undergrad degree, I did a lot of field biology, just figuring out like what I want to go into. And I slowly want to like figure out like, yeah, marine biology. And then um, 
but I also wanted to be employable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to think about so that. So that's why I got into environmental toxicology because it was like working with like water science mm. and water ecology and um, the ecosystems to do with the ocean, but still like something that I could get a job outside of academia if I wanted to. Okay. And how does it very feel practical. to be very practical? <laughs> I respect it. You know, you have to think about it. Like sometimes like, you'd, be, you'd be surprised how many jobs also in science or just in general become obsolete these days. Oh, no, so. there's so many. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, like, especially working in like the a lab that specializes in reptiles. I'm like, who's going to hire me to work with <laughs> reptiles? Like, talk about niche. You know, super niche. Although it's giving, you know, some Jurassic Park-esque like, <laughs> <laughs> come back, you know. Right, oh, yeah. DNA definitely. Clothes, <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and, and so after studying, was it then that you moved to Europe? Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. So, ooh. Yeah. So I was working, I was doing my master's degree, yep, in environmental toxicology. And I finished my um, classes, mm-hmm. the class section. And I just had to write my thesis. And at that point, I had released like a remix. Mm-hmm. And that's how my agent found me and just cold called, emailed me. <laughs> be like, hey, do you need representation? And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. And then I was like, you know, things started rolling. I had like a small tour. And then I was just like, oh, I should move to, maybe I should move to Europe. I can write my thesis and move to Europe at the same time. Famous last words. <laughs> do not do that. I would not recommend that to anybody. It was incredibly difficult to write that thesis while being on the road. Mm-hmm. But but you did it. <laughs> I did it. It took me like definitely a couple extra years, but I did it. <laughs> Amazing. And did you specifically move to Berlin first? Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, Berlin has this, reputation of being this utopia especially for (laughs) DJs like musically and like you know being also super liberal and whatnot what were your experiences in Berlin because you you moved to London later on right yeah no it's funny because I I moved there a big reason why is because I have family there Mm. so my sister-in-law lives there with my niece and nephew and so it's kind of funny because I didn't really party in Berlin. Mm. I know that's what everyone does, but I think I went to like Bergheim once, <laughs> like out of the four years that I lived there. I was like, okay, I'm good, cool, yeah. cool. But I am happy to play there if mm. you want me to, <laughs> um, which has been awesome. I do like playing there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it. I think, yeah, my experience was there was like a, a quite um, a big difference because I was with the family and – So I'd have this like really safe home experience, like home vibes that was very grounding and something I really needed at that point in my life. And on the other hand, as soon as I moved to Berlin, I was traveling. Mm. So I think like it really was just a hub for me in a lot of ways, Mm. like a place that was affordable, but also close to all the places I needed to be because... Flying from Vancouver to Europe is, that's a long journey Mm. and I was trying to do less of that, you know, so, (laughs) but yeah, I think Berlin overall, like it was my beginnings, you Mm. know, and I'm always just like so happy with how Germany really just always comes through. Yeah. it's just, it warms my heart so much. <laughs> like I, I was just playing at Panorama Bar. Oh gosh, this is last month, I think. And, and it was just, I hadn't played there in so long. And I was just so taken aback how many fans came out. Aww. I was just like, oh my God, you guys didn't forget 
about me. Like so, and I yeah. So it's it's the beginnings. It was my foundation in a lot mm. of ways, and so I'm very thankful for yeah. it. You yeah. know, I was even thinking. I think I saw you play once. Just when I first moved to Berlin, this little radio station called Kashmir Radio. Oh, whoa. Like, yeah, yeah, throwback. But I like that's, had a, that's a deep throwback, <laughs> right? Because like, I think I literally just moved to Berlin. I was like working at this radio station. Oh and God, I remember you. Yeah. I think you maybe even came in with no. Picture. I I came and yeah. I met. It was like out there yeah in Lichtenberg yeah like a far I remember out, like. it was like a journey and a half to get there yeah <laughs> <laughs> how did you how did you build your foundations in Berlin because I know that radio you know exists as a lot of spaces for connecting with people and that's I think how I how I yeah. dived into it how did you find your place in Berlin? no I was kind of like in this really deep underground scene mm. um I was playing alongside Fettberger a lot and a lot of the DJs that were kind of in that scene and it's and I'm also like very grateful for it we me and Fettberger ran a record label for a number of years and that was that was it was so fun and I learned so much about just like finding music that you like and making music that you like and promoting and working with record like how to release a record and all those things mm-hmm. right um, and that was a big part of my beginnings. And then it also, in terms of the scene, I just, when those early days, I was just really open. Mm. And I'm sure you can probably relate in terms of with radio and stuff too, where with traveling a lot, you, you and especially like when it's smaller shows and you know, you you know they can like barely afford anything, so you're like sleeping on someone's couch. And <laughs> yeah. like, there's just you just make friends. Yeah, and like a lot of those like people are friends with me still. Like, yeah. I, it's just yeah, those beginning days. It was and everything was so new and really exciting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's just how I just was really open and like into meeting new people mm-hmm. and traveling and yeah. yeah. Amazing. How long were you in Berlin for in, in total? Then? About four years. About four years. Yeah. Okay. So I think I think that's like you've earned your Berlin stripes. Oh, there. Yeah, you know. I'll take it. <laughs> take it, take it. <laughs> what what ultimately then triggered your decision to to leave the city then? It was a combo of things. Like at that point, it was 2019, and I had gotten a residence uh residency at the residency on BBC Radio One. Mm-hmm. I know, and I was I was so excited and yeah, and my manager was like, you should come to the actual, like, to BBC to actually record it. Mm. And that was like every month, I think the first stint was six months, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to London every month. Mm-hmm. And then I also had a residency at Phonox. Mm-hmm. And then I was working with Ninja Tune. And yeah. then my management <laughs> is here and my fashion management is here. It London's just, calling. <laughs> it really got to, I remember there was a month there where I literally, I think I was in Berlin like three days out of the entire month. Mm-hmm. And it just like started not really making sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like, yeah, that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> it kind of just took, like London started taking over my life and I just <laughs> went with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you just got release sometimes, you know, like let it do its thing. I mean, yeah. what was it like moving to London just before the pandemic? Because I know that pre, pre-pandemic, you know, it was popping, but then during the pandemic, it was pretty much a ghost town, right? Yeah. Well, I was popping in and out so much throughout 2019. Um, like when I had the residency uh, at Phonox, I decided to move to London for the month mm-hmm. and just like see if this is, I was like, well, let's just see if I like this city, Test you know? The and, yeah. 
And I just remember, oh, I remember this, like it was really distinct. I can't remember exactly where I was walking, but I was walking along the street and I heard a disco tune that I knew. knew mm-hmm. And that, no offense to Berlin, but that did not happen in Berlin. <laughs> Usually like hearing techno or some sort of like electronic sound, right? Yeah. And the fact that there was like some disco track that was playing at some random person's house, I was like, oh, what? Like it really like got me. Mm. Um, like it reminded me of my times in New York and such where you just hear the music that you know and love just everywhere. Yeah. Like even in the grocery store, you know what I mean? And that's... That was like a big, like, I was like, oh, I, I, I think this, this place might be for me. And mm-hmm. then, so those were a lot of the early experiences for 2019. And then, yeah, the COVID came around. But honestly, because I was traveling so much, when COVID happened, I actually got to know the place I was living in. Yeah. So it was, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, like mm-hmm. scary and weird and strange and oh, so many ups and downs like everyone else. But I got to know London in a, obviously in a different vibe because it was so quiet and yeah. such. But it really, yeah, it, I, I really liked it. I got to know know the city a bit more. Yeah. So. Do you feel settled now? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> you put your roots down. <laughs> yeah, you guys are stuck with me here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What is it that you love so much about the city? I think a big part of it actually is that. There, there's actually a lot of cultural similarities between Canada and the UK. Yeah, even down to the slang sometimes. Oh, like, yeah. I remember I heard someone say Wagwan in the Canadian accent once. I was like, what's going on? And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it, there's a lot of crossover. So there, there's some ease that happens there. Mm. And also it's easy to get to Canada. Like mm. I, I try and go home as often as I can. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just shortens the flight just a little bit, yeah. but it makes a difference. <laughs> But yeah, and like, I don't know, again, like it was just saying like musically, it's a big one too. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I guess London has like a lot entrenched in its, it offers a lot musically in terms yeah. of, I mean, Germany does too. Um, yeah, but it's just, it's a, they're just different. It's mm. like, like, I, I think the different parts of my set actually probably fit into both cultures a lot, like mm-hmm. how I play house and electronic. And then there's like that soulful element that I do find here in London quite mm-hmm. a bit. So, yeah, I don't know. Amazing. <laughs> and speaking of flights back home. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, your new album that's coming out is really strongly connected with home yeah. as well, right? It's called Guy. Yes. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah, it? Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Possibly trigger warning just right there. But um, so my father uh, passed away when I was 10 years old. And he was sick for a long time, for about five years leading up to that. And because he knew he was going to pass, he decided to record himself talking about his life. And there's 11 hours of videotape of my dad talking, and which is like pretty amazing. Um, parts of it are just him just talking, going into the weeds, just about his life or, you know, family stories that you know very well. And then other parts, actually, my sister interviewed him for a big chunk of like those hours. Um, Yeah. And I just, I had the idea for a long time to make an album around these tapes, but it wasn't till COVID hit where I was actually able to have the space, time and energy to kind of sit with it and 
figure out how I was going to do that because I knew I didn't want to do it the same way I had done past productions. Mm -hmm. How had you done past productions? Literally me in my bedroom (laughs) (laughs) with nobody else. (laughs) Just me and my brain and like, yeah, and my computer. And I I wanted to involve more people. I wanted to get out of that isolation bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to work with other songwriters. That was also a big thing is I wanted to actually write lyrics like verse, chorus, pre-chorus, all that stuff. The structure. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to learn it. It, A lot of it was learning. Like I just want to learn more about making music. Mm. Um, Again, the nerdiness coming out in full force. Um, And I was taking vocal coaching lessons at at that time as well um, because I sing on most of the, on the whole album basically. And yeah, it it was a real journey. And Mm. I don't think I would have been able to do that without COVID happening, mm. really, because with touring and stuff, you know, you only have so so much energy to give, right? Mm. So yeah, that's uh, now that we have the album, guy. Exactly. <laughs> and you described your album as a blend of storytelling about the African American experience, death, grief, and understanding. Um, what did you learn, if anything, or understand about yourself while you were working on Guy? Oh my gosh, I learned so much. I learned I learned a lot of where I come from. I think that's the case a lot when if you ever dig deep into your parents' past and why they did what they did and when they did it. Sometimes you get shocked, you know. I'm like, is that you? <laughs> oh no, I got super shocked. There were so many stories that my father said that I kind of knew like a certain layer of what they were, but like actually hearing it from him and the depth of them and then also being an adult and putting myself in his shoes. Some of the stories I'm just like, dang, like <laughs> that is intense. How did you get out of that one? Like, it, you know, it's and I'm so grateful for it. He made so many decisions to get himself out of the situation he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, my father grew up in, as literally his words are, he's like, I guess you would have called that the ghetto. Like, <laughs> and yeah, he grew up in, in poverty and a hard area, and but there was community there. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting how where he grew up, he took, certain elements of where he grew up with him and that love for community was a big one like mm. community super important with my family and but he wanted something better for himself and therefore his kids mm. and I'm a product of that you know he ended up finding that in Grand Forks British Columbia Canada <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah it's it, there was definitely some shockers and a lot of empathy and understanding of who he was. I think we, I don't know, I think it's something that a lot of people do. Like, you know your parents as, you know, these people who take care of you and seem to know or seem to know all the answers. And then as you get older, you know, you just learn that they're, you know, just flailing around trying to figure out this thing <laughs> called life that we all are trying to figure out, you know. Yeah. And yeah, really learned a lot. After watching the tapes of your father, did you see any elements of him or some of the things 
that you relate to her, who he was as a person and how, they, how they've now become a part of you. Like you're like, oh, oh wait, that's where I get that from. Or, oh, the biggest <laughs> one was the radio DJ. Yeah. That, I didn't know he, he had DJed at all. Really? No, until <laughs> I was like, what? He's, yeah. And he's just like, yeah, I was in Washington, D.C. and working nights as a radio DJ and his, his DJ name was Gigging Guy. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's so, so corny, but I love it. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, like things like that where I was like, oh, wow. Like, I think that's something a lot of us find out when we look at our ancestry. Mm. We find out that the apple does not fall from far from the tree you're just like oh yeah okay so I'm not like that original yeah <laughs> I mean like like a, like a remix like yeah the part exactly, two. exactly. <laughs> like the sequel you got it that's yeah. exactly it <laughs> Amazing. and uh, so there's so I'm going to reference a book actually yeah. uh, we'll touch on a quote from a book that our mutual friend gifted me oh yes uh, yeah, I, I think, think I know you, this you know book. the book you know the book already <laughs> so all about love by bell hooks yes um, and but like it's a, if you don't know this book, like it's a really amazing book that delves into all the aspects of love, like um, defining it for yourself, defining it in relationship um, to your family, to your loved ones, and how to kind of like build your understanding of what love means. And there's a really uh, important chapter um, in the book which I think touches on grief and mm-hmm. how we relate to grief and love. And um, she writes that love invites us to grieve for the dead as a ritual of mourning and celebration. We need not contain grief when we use it as a means to intensify our love for the dead and die and for those who remain alive. And I remember reading that quote at a time when one of my friends, one of my mm-hmm. close friends, also passed. Um, and it kind of connected with me because I think um, in particularly like um, culture in Europe and North America, we look at grief as something that is supposed to be like, oh, something you need to get over or something that's not mm-hmm. to be talked about, something mm-hmm. that's a little bit more taboo. Um, but then I've seen grief in relation to my Nigerian heritage, which is mm-hmm. much more like a celebration of life. Yeah. And like, you know, I remember going to my grandfather's funeral. I was like, wow, if my wedding's half as lit, this is like <laughs> everyone walking around with their, his t- his face on their T-shirts, oh music pumping, outfit <laughs> yes. changes. like, And so like kind of like reconciling that and understanding, okay, like how... How do you grieve in a way that um, well, people have various means of grieving, you know, but like what, what's my way of grieving? Um, how did this album relate to your your grief and, and yeah. what, what's come of it? Just have to say my father's funeral was very similar to your grandpa. <laughs> like people like it was a lit party. Yeah. Like and it like my my mom is Jewish. I'm Jewish as well. So. Um, in the Jewish tradition, you're supposed to sit Shiva, and that means you have an open house basically for anyone who, you know, knew the person who passed to come mm-hmm. through to the house. Mm-hmm. So it literally, and it like, I think traditionally, I think it's supposed to last like a week or something, whatever. It was definitely like more than one day <laughs> of just like people through the house and every evening it would get into like a party vibe. I remember, and there would be like jam sessions. Oh, oh my gosh. Like <laughs> someone would bring out bongos. My, my uncle, uncle Jimmy, he, shout, he out would, uncle Jimmy. He, shout out to uncle Jimmy. <laughs> he, uh, he, he played the bass. So he'd bring out the bass guitar and then me and my best friend would be like singing and like, oh my goodness. Yeah. It was, <laughs> um, it was definitely a celebration of life when it came mm-hmm. to my father. And I think that is something that I would love for everyone to take home with them when it comes to death, mm. that it is a celebration of life. And and I, I remember hearing, I can't remember who said this, but 
that grief is just love for someone that has nowhere to go. Mm. And it's, you know, love doesn't end. Therefore, mm. grief doesn't end, mm. you know, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Mm. It just means that you love the person. Mm. And it's your own understanding and journey of where to put that love, where to learn how to hold that love for that person within you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this was. It was a, another transition of that. Mm-hmm. I think like my my parents were pretty good in terms of leading me through his sickness and his death. It, nothing was under the table. Every like, you know, we're a family where we talk about our emotions and we talk things through and such. So that was really good and healthy in in the way that was done. And I'm very grateful for that. But I think in terms of getting to know my father in a deeper way Mm -hmm. and having, yeah, another layer of understanding of kind of what I lost in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, But at the same time, so grateful that he left all this information for me yeah. to kind of go through because that was the purpose of it in a lot of ways right mm. what was so, it like watching the footage for the first time um well some of it like I had seen some of it like for many years like I always knew the tapes were there and but I hadn't watched all of it and I still haven't watched all of it because 11 hours is a long time mm. um but there were parts of it that I didn't know about and I think like that was it was just like, whoa. Like, it's just like you were saying, like, earlier, it's just, like, shocking. You're like, oh, my goodness, really? That's what you went through? That's, like, no joke. Mm. And, yeah, and also just, like, bringing up those discussions, like, with my my family. Mm. Um, yeah, it really started some, like, really beautiful conversations around that, too. So, yeah. Mm. Amazing. And did you incorporate anything from the tapes directly into the album? Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah. So... Everything in this album is really reference. You can reference it back to my dad. Mm. Some of, like in terms of so the process I ended up taking. It's funny because it's very like research based process, which is obvious. <laughs> the scientists coming out. I can't help myself. <laughs> so basically, like I would watch the film, like a combo of the films, and they were also transcribed. So I would like kind of go back and forth between reading and watching. And if something was really poignant to me, I would watch it, right? Mm. And I would take these stories, essentially, that my father was telling. And my favorite ones are the ones that resonate. And I would bring these stories to my writing sessions. Mm. And it it got to a point where I think one of the writers I I worked with, they're like, yeah, every time you come, it's like story time. (laughs) And it's, it became this beautiful kind of deeper understanding of relaying, you know, relaying these stories and then relating to them both for myself and for the person I was writing with. Mm. And those became the songs. And some of the songs are directly quoted from my dad, you Mm. know, so it's like, I think like circle back around, like he literally is saying circle back around, circle back around. <laughs> and I, the parts where they were direct clips or were references to that song are actually embedded in the album, like mm-hmm. his audios in the album throughout the entire album. Amazing. So how was it working in this process? Like, were there any difficult moments at all? Oh, yeah. yeah. It was super hard. I like, 
my again my Sindhu, she was there. <laughs> she no, I, she she got she gets a thank you on the album <laughs> on the back of the album. <laughs> she was the one who was just like her and my best friend Allie, like and Allie knew my father. I've known her since I was born, mm. and like the two of them, if it got like super heavy, like. You know, you have your people, right? Mm-hmm. To reach out your to your community. And, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's yeah, it was definitely there were hard bits, but at the same time, I don't know. I it that's just life, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. There are hard bits, but there's beautiful bits too. And mm-hmm. I don't know, light and dark and all that corny stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a quote somewhere. <laughs> light and dark and all that corny stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Amazing. And what do you think your father would make of your album if you listened oh, to it? Oh gosh, I think he would be loving it. My dad, <laughs> my dad, like he loved to dance. He was like a he was very gregarious and outgoing mm. and loved to be the center of attention. <laughs> and so I think the fact that a whole album is written based off of him, he'd be like, "Yep, yeah. exactly." <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing! Shout out to your dad. <laughs> yeah, big shout out to guy. <laughs> So your like you know the tapes that you've incorporated into your your music from your dad's thing um, from your dad's um, videotapes that he left you they're not the only kind of like filled recordings that you you or, like <laughs> the only I you, see where you're going you see where I'm going <laughs> so you, you also like incorporate nature into your music it's kind of a signature move for you at this point I guess um, so how I did never you really <laughs> thought of it that way <laughs> but I mean how, how do you how did you come come up with that like how do you how do you draw inspiration from your surroundings and how do you incorporate that into your music? Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. I think it's just for me, when you're writing music, you're taking inspiration from life. Mm. And nature and my surroundings is my life. Yeah. Or it was a very big part of it for a long time. And like with my first album, significant changes, like there's orca whale sounds mm. and like field recordings like that, and also like a snippet from a, a radio show of this woman talking about you know how the orca whales are endangered and everything that goes around that and I think for me especially with that album at the time I was so immersed in my thesis and that whole album is like an ode to my thesis mm-hmm. so what was the topic of your thesis <laughs> so yeah oh yeah that part um, so I was looking at I was doing a risk assessment um, a, a risk assessment thesis essentially on the health of uh, killer whales off the coast of Vancouver, British Columbia. And I was assessing, I think it was seven different chemicals and like which one is the worst, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I could go deep into it, but uh, (laughs) it's okay. No one wants to hear that. But that was essentially, (laughs) it was honestly the best like research project to have gotten. I'm so thankful for it. It it, it was funded by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans in Canada and um, also funded by the Vancouver Aquarium. And it just, it was like literally my dream project. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's why there's lots of orca whale sounds in there. (laughs) Did you get to spend time with actual orcas? No, no, no. no. Only the, uh, the the oldest and most senior professors who've been doing that shit since the 70s get to go on the boat. And you got to really like, you know, rub shoulders yeah, to get yeah, on the boat. It's and like, 
forget, you know, asking for guest list for Burkhai. It's like, do you get to hang with orcas today? No, like, no joke. That is probably harder than getting into Burkhai. And it really, and I'm just like not that kind of person. I am just like, I am who I am. And I, I can't pretend to be anything other than that yeah and so um but yeah so it was working with like this awesome database basically and but I definitely got on other field projects like the the harbor seals um (laughs) so there was that's again it's like a community when you're working in a science lab there's so many people who are doing so many different kinds of projects Mm -hmm. and a lot of people need help yeah so I've definitely jumped on a lot of projects to help a lot of fellow scientist researchers so (laughs) what did your fellow scientists think about you making your transition into music oh no no one they're like well also you gotta remember like in Canada dance music is not really a thing yeah like it's like here in the UK and Europe, it's mainstream. Yeah, Canada, no. <laughs> They're just like, so you DJ? So like, do you DJ weddings? <laughs> I'm like, nah, nah. Yeah. That's not what this is about. <laughs> you know? Did you DJ your own wedding though? Oh well, yes, I did. <laughs> that's the only wedding I have ever DJ, and the only wedding I will be ever de- DJ. Ever DJ. <laughs> Because I don't do weddings. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. So I think like my fellow like, yeah, researchers, I, I think I think they were probably like confused by it. But it's they're just like, oh, it's just like her hobby and her niche. But I know definitely like there was a point where everyone was like, oh, what? What is like basically the Grammy nom? And like people were just, oh, this is something different than just like a random hobby or yeah, something, yeah. you know? I don't know. There was like a layer of understanding all of a sudden yeah. um, with my North American people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And you mentioned before about, you know, being quite methodical with going through like tapes and incorporating <laughs> into your music. Do you feel like your approach as a scientist and your understanding and knowledge as a scientist influences your approach to your music oh yeah for sure I think well even just like writing the album guy like I approached it like I approach any project which is like as a researcher like okay let me read all the transcripts highlight my favorite parts make a separate document for that and then research it from some more but on an emotional level Mm -hmm. and you know, it's it was it's definitely a way. My knowledge of how to tackle big projects that can take years definitely stems all from sciences. Mm. And also, I would say like a big one is observation, and but that's like specific to like field biology. Mm-hmm. So like when you're working in the field, you you have to be good with your eyes. You mm-hmm. have to. If you're looking for a specific animal, you have to understand what that animal likes, what kind of temperature they like, where they like to hide, what are the certain things about their habitat that are going to show signs to you that they're there. Mm. And you get really good at picking that out. Mm. And you get, yeah, you get really good at observing things like below the surface, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And... I think that is definitely something I've learned from 
being in sciences that has been brought into like DJing. Because mm. when you're DJing, it's a really similar thing. Like you're watching everyone, you're seeing how they're reacting to your music, but there is a deeper level too of understanding and anticipating what or where you want to take them and if they're going to go there with you, mm. right? So, yeah. So you have your observations, you have your <laughs> hypothesis. Like, you got I it. I think this Diana Ross track. Uh, oh, yeah, no, reaction, exactly. You know? <laughs> you test the hypothesis and then you see if you have the results, you know. <laughs> that is, yeah, painfully, like, <laughs> spot on. <laughs> do, you, do you see any other synergies between science and DJing and electronic music and dance music in general? Oh, gosh. I think, yeah, mi biggest one in terms of my experience is the observation bit. I think it's also like if you want to get into like the music industry, mm. it's really similar as yeah. well. Yeah, just like how they're, they're like, it's so funny actually, but like just like how there's hit tracks in music, they're like hit research papers. No way. Yeah, like, <laughs> like when you're researching, you're also trying to publish constantly mm. and just like how you're trying to put out a track. Um, with academia, you're only as good as like your last paper, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and then there's like certain papers that are cited a ton and yeah. those are like the hit research papers. <laughs> and then there's also, like, it's, it's funny, but it's like so true, like how there's certain, um, oh gosh, like certain genres that are like really, like certain music genres that are really in, yeah. you know? It's the same in sciences. Like there's certain areas of research that are like really cool to research and are getting all the funding at that point mm. time. You know, like when I was just starting um, like my undergrad thesis, like genetics was like the hot new topic. Mm. Like any like project that had anything to do with genetics, you're going to get the funding. Mm -hmm. um, and then later on when I was like just finishing my master's thesis, the big hot topic was microplastics. Mm. Like anything to do with microplastics, you were going to get funding. Like mm -hmm. things like that. Just like same how there's like, you know, certain subgenres of like music that yeah. are like super cool or, yeah. and then also no one hears it again. Yeah. <laughs> like, Do you hear, yeah. Did you have like rock star scientists? Like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. Dr. So-and-so just entered the building. Oh, like, yeah, he's like yeah. giving a talk here. I have to go see it now. Yeah. <laughs> Th those, those are called conferences. You go to conferences <laughs> and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go talk to so-and-so. And then you're like super nervous. I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it's very similar kind, okay, of like, you know? kind of dynamic that goes on. <laughs> I guess, you know, people who are passionate about their, what they're involved in, whether it's music or science, they find ways to engage with others. But also, and maybe, it's a, maybe it's a human thing, you know, us building these structures and these yeah, like, environments around. These systems these around yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and do you still kind of like keep up to date with science? Are you still kind of researching or studying yeah, or engaging with it? Yeah, I'm not so much researching anymore, Um but because I just don't have the time like mm. I used to, but I'm definitely trying to blend my music and my science together and use my my platform to talk about science and the mm. environment and climate change. And mm -hmm. I think the biggest one is I've been working on this documentary mm -hmm. for the last year and a half now, mm. um, this environmental documentary. It's called Blue Carbon. Mm -hmm. And so excited. It's going to come out later this year yes. um, and I can finally talk about it <laughs> and I can't wait for people to see it. I can't wait to see it because <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. But um, yeah, that's been like a big part of just, you know, using the fact that people are, 
you know, paying attention to me and I'm like a public person now. So mm-hmm. how do you use your platform to talk about the things that you really care about, mm-hmm. right? And the environment, obviously, I really care about. So, mm-hmm. which I think we all should care about. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, what is it like being a, a public figure and a scientist in the in the age of the climate crisis? Like, Yeah, I think... It's interesting because you get the sense that a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's, or maybe it's a combo of these things of people feeling like they shouldn't, they shouldn't be the one to talk about it Mm. or they're scared to talk about it. Cause I think there's a lot of maybe possible finger pointing when it comes to climate change because they're like, oh, well, you're a DJ or you're a musician and you travel. So what is your carbon footprint, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which is definitely the case. Mm. But the reality is everyone has a carbon footprint and we all live on this earth and we all are affecting it with the type of society that we're living in. And Mm -hmm. I'm definitely no better than the next person. Unless you're like living on top of a mountain in an A-frame cabin with like no (laughs) electricity or running water, then like, I don't know, we all have our impacts, right? Mm. And so I think there's been like a layer of people kind of somehow I'm I'm the person who's okay to talk about it. Mm. But it's also just because I I love the like I love talking about nature. I love talking about animals. I love talking about science. Mm-hmm. So it's just something that I light up when I talk about it. Mm. So it just also kind of just makes sense. Okay. And tell us some more about Blue Carbon. Yeah, like, what's yeah. this documentary? What's the theme? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the Blue Carbon. Um, so basically what it is is showcasing these types of ecosystems that are really good at pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it into the ground. So mm-hmm. it's really good at combating climate change, essentially. Mm-hmm. And these three, there's three ecosystems as of now that are deemed as blue carbon ecosystems. So that's mangrove forests, saltwater marshes, and seagrass meadows. And basically the film is us going around the world looking at these different ecosystems and understanding uh, all the ins and outs. So obviously talking to researchers, um, actually exploring the ecosystems in real life, but the most important part is the people who live and work within these these systems, in these natural systems, mm. and know it better than anybody else, the stewards of the land, you mm. know? That's and, a good track name, stewards of the land. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I like that. Ooh, I'm going to bank that Save one. <laughs> but yeah, and so, and basically it's this, uh, it's this amazing journey that I take with this film where, we end up learning about these different ecosystems and how, you know, obviously they're amazing if we put money and time and energy into them. It can really help combating climate change, but also understanding really what climate change is actually about, which it isn't just like the warming of the earth, but it's also the fact that we live in a system that has perpetuated to the point where now we are have a climate crisis. Mm. So very quickly, it becomes a social justice issue, which mm. it is. And I think a lot of people are slowly understanding that and how basically the people who are going to be affected by climate change aren't the people who are actually contributing to climate change. Mm, the 1%. The, exactly. So it's it's the there's a huge discrepancy here of the people who are going to feel the effects versus people who are actually putting carbon into the atmosphere. And 
talking about that and understanding that and understanding, yeah, that is is so much more than just, oh, we need to recycle more. Mm-hmm. It's about the systems that we live in and wanting more from that, wanting more from our governments, wanting more from our society in general. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is by asking questions from different kinds of people mm-hmm. who aren't always at the top. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah. what was the process like for you to film this documentary? Because it, it can be quite grueling traveling oh, and engaging in the Lord. <laughs> DJing is a walk in the park. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like that it like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna complain about DJing ever again. <laughs> like this filming is no joke. It's long hours. Yeah. We're traveling to really far off places. So you know, the jet lag, whatever. But then when you're just like knee deep in a swamp getting bitten by mosquitoes, you're just like... Why am I doing this? You're like, okay, <laughs> I chose this. Yeah. Like, you know, it's... There's definitely... It was hard. It was yeah. definitely hard. It was like... But it was so interesting because on one hand, I'm, you're like battling the elements, like yeah. you're battling heat and like humidity and exhaustion, which I'm, I'm not a stranger to dealing with. But then what I didn't factor in was the fact that you have a camera in yeah. front of your face <laughs> and you guys still like look cute yeah <laughs> you, know? you know and also like, like keep upbeat as well I know like, I'm just like man what like where were David Attenborough's sweat I was pits? gonna say like, <laughs> <laughs> he makes it seem easy you he know? makes it seem easy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but is it something that you enjoyed, like you would do again? No, like, do we have... it was pretty, it was life-changing. <laughs> yeah. That's the like, like simplest way I can say it. Mm. it. It was, it was truly life-changing. And I'm so thankful that I was chosen to be part of this project because mm. it's, I'm just the, the vehicle that people are watching it through. It's not about me. It's about all the people who we are interviewing and talking to. Okay. So it's just. Yeah, it was really amazing. Yeah, watch out, David Attenborough. You got someone <laughs> coming for your nature documentary crown, you know? <laughs> amazing. And but I mean, using your platform um, that you've the platform that you've built as a DJ um, to talk about environmental issues isn't something that's new to you. You you used to run this talk series called GMG Talks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about that no, and also totally. what your goal was with that? Oh gosh, honestly, the goal was just like, how can I put science and music together? Yeah. <laughs> but like that was the goal. And then I was just like, how can I talk to all my friends about the cool nerdy stuff they're doing? <laughs> Oh, I'll do it. I'll do a talk series. Like, and it was just, it was just three like shows. Um, and I did it alongside promoting my album. So it was 2019. Mm. And it literally all like the PR was around it was me posting about it on Instagram and just <laughs> seeing if people showed up. Yeah. And like it was just really heartwarming that people did show up. Like, yeah. so basically it was me interviewing my my science peers who I knew were doing really cool projects and just talking to them about their projects and their process, their emotional process um, through that and just to kind of humanize science in a lot of mm-hmm. ways because I think it can feel like this separate thing that is mm-hmm. just like completely has nothing to do with us or we have to have all this knowledge and foundation to really understand it. But I, I kind of wanted to talk about it in a way so that anyone could understand it and find out what's cool about it and mm-hmm. maybe get inspired and 
through inspiration, finding empathy for the natural world. Mm. So that was kind of like, yeah, my aim. And we got three done and then the pandemic hit. (laughs) (laughs) And then. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, can you see it coming uh, coming back again? I sure hope so. You know, like I just got to get through this year first, like promoting Mm. the album and the and the film, but it definitely like was something that I truly enjoyed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, speaking of coming back from the pandemic, I mean, how was that process for you? You've spoken already about how it allowed for some space to breathe and for you to touch on um, sources of inspiration and processes that you maybe wouldn't have been. How has it been now emerging and getting back into the touring, oh, the whole touring? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you felt this too. It was, in, it was intense. It was yeah. like those first few shows going back. Mm-hmm. Ooh, they, like the, it was... It wasn't bad. It was just the energy was so intense because people were like, oh my gosh, we're going out, (laughs) you know, which was amazing. Um, The most wild shows energetically, you know, Um, but I just was so, yeah, it was pretty wild, Mm. but I'm I'm into it. Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel like there's like, I mean, we're still relatively young, right? I consider us youth, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Like, do you see like there's, if there's a difference in maybe the youth that engage with clubbing before the pandemic yes. and also post-pandemic? Oh my goodness. Like, it's so interesting. I think like with the pandemic, it, it really took away from a lot of like young people's experiences of just learning how to party. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, because, oh my gosh, I don't know if you experienced this, but there were some festivals where you knew that this was the first time these kids were coming out Mm. to a festival or to any kind of dancing, gathering, party situation. And... It was like, the, I was like, oh no, they don't know how to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't had the slow buildup of like experiences. They're just like thrown into the deep end. Yeah. And it was <laughs> like, like baby birds pushed out of a nest. <laughs> literally. Um, so it was really intense like watching that. But at the same time, oh gosh, I remember this was, um, it was a festival out, fest- festival out in Cornwall and I was on the train going to Cornwall and I was just like in in a cabin where there was like it was everyone there had just finished high school uh-huh. and they were so excited uh-huh. like it was just I don't know how like I was so touching like it was they were just like oh my gosh like looking at the lineup and being like oh my gosh we gotta go here and go there and it just like reminded me of just those first few festivals that I got to experience mm. where I was just so excited yeah. and so excited to see the bands that I had been listening to. But then it was heightened so much because these kids hadn't been out yet. Like mm. I, none of us had been out yet. So it was, yeah, really interesting, like witnessing that. Yeah. Do yeah. you have any connections like that, like in terms of the memories you have as a youth, like oh, oh like your first festival, your first concert. Oh my goodness, you have no idea. <laughs> like, actually, no, you probably do have an idea. Um, but, well, because I grew up in Grand Forks, I really related to those kids because I just didn't, I, I, I didn't have um, the accessibility to any live shows. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like you had to drive 
two to three hours minimum to see anything. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't until I got my driver's license and then at the end becoming of age, of course, that I could actually go to festivals. And mm. I remember being so excited. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, all these bands, all these DJs <laughs> that I've been listening to, and finally I get to go. And it was just like, I remember, yeah, there was, oh gosh, I think like one of the first ones, it was this festival. Oh my gosh, it's one of the most beautiful locations I've ever been to still to this day for a festival. Um, mm. It's down in Washington State. Mm. So it's like three hours directly south from where Grand Forks is. And it's called the Gorge Amphitheater. Mm. And it's literally the whole place, uh, the whole venue is like situated on the edge of a canyon. Oh, wow. So it's just absolutely gorgeous. And then also gorgeous, me- gorgeous figuratively <laughs> <Didn't>. and literally. <laughs> <laughs> Also, sound-wise, it's insane. Like, it doesn't matter where you are because you can just, the the sound reverberates off of the canyon. And it's just, oh my gosh, I remember it was, it's called Sasquatch Festival. Mm. And oh, I I've just, heard of it, yeah. Yeah, and I just, I remember going and I had like, I think I had like VIP tickets through my brother who somehow hooked us up and, and I went with my two girlfriends and we like had our camping gear. Like, we did the whole festival experience. Mm. It was wild. I remember like us like seeing LCD sound system. Mm. I remember, oh gosh, I, there was, I think, no, Frank Ocean wasn't, he wasn't touring yet, but I did see Frank Ocean <laughs> at Coachella in like 2012. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of highlights in those yeah. early years. So. <laughs> Amazing. Do you think that uh, kids these days have it harder than we had it when we were growing up engaging with music and nightlife oh, and club wow. culture? Yeah, I I think because of the pandemic, it has made it harder. Um, I think there's a lot of things, certain experiences that were taken away mm-hmm. from from the kids that were growing up through that period of time. And I know definitely like talking to like people who are in that age group who are just coming of age in the pandemic really mm-hmm. did feel like they lo- missed out on something. There's mm-hmm. like that fear of missing out really coming into full effect, Mm. Um, like FOMO on a whole nother level. So I think there's that that's definitely, there's a huge difference. Like, you know, I remember when I was young and just like, or really young, uh, like underage and just like, you know, that whole experience where like you have your fake ID and you're trying (laughs) to sneak into the club, like that whole thing was like taken away, you know, Mm. like for, for a good few years. And But then I guess it's also difficult because... We also live in a day and age where you see it on social media, you know, you see the 30 second boiler room clips. So this was the other thing I was going to mention is that also everything is so much more public. Yeah. Like when I, like I didn't, like we had Facebook, but not to the degree that it is now, like with Instagram, social media and everyone, like you, you were free to kind of like make a fool of yourself and just like try things out and just, you know, like live life kind of unabashedly, you know Mm. what I mean? And that I feel like that's not, it doesn't resonate the same with like the Gen Z generation. Mm. There's definitely a layer of awareness that I definitely didn't have Mm. when I was that age. Yeah, which can be difficult to deal with sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah. I think, and 
it's because you're already so self-aware, like mm-hmm. when you're 18, 19, and you're just like going out into the world and you don't know what you're doing and you're just kind of floundering around. And like, of course, it, it could just continues and you just keep floundering around but because <laughs> that's just life. Low but, key, I'm like, <laughs> I haven't still quite floundering. floundering, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Where like you're already self-aware and trying, you know, just so many things like so many new experiences and then all that is on social media and then Mm. that impeding you from choosing certain experiences because you just don't want to be seen in that certain light Mm -hmm. on social media because it can really change your life Mm. and not in a good way Mm. um so i think yeah that's that's a thing that is kind of wild in a a lot of ways to be dealing with and how do you deal with social media because I know that you're a self-described introvert but then I'm a big introvert (laughs) (laughs) I know no one believes it but I truly am I'm I'm the same like I'm like no I'm actually introvert I just need to like sit like for two days by myself oh yeah everyone's like but you're out there doing this no 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 no. that's work exactly that's a persona you know like and how, how do you sometimes I think also Social media also blurs boundaries sometimes oh, in yeah, terms of people feeling like they know you or they know they have these expectations of you or yeah. who you are as a person or who you are, how who you are behind a DJ booth translates to who you are behind closed doors. Like, yeah, no. How do you deal with those expectations and also that, you know, maybe perceptions of what people expect for you, from you as a DJ and just online in general? No, totally. Um, I think... The biggest thing is I have a, some pretty big boundaries when it comes to to social media and me engaging with my fans. I I don't engage with my fans on Instagram. Mm. Like if I, I'll like something on the comments, but I'm not like doing DMs. Mm-hmm. I just like stuff gets weird really quick. Mm. I don't know. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And it's also I find it – I find it draining. Mm. Um, but – like, you know, it's so different for so many people. I know there's so many people, that's how they build their community. Yeah. And that's where they feel seen and they feel heard, um, which I think is amazing. That's just not really been my experience with mm-hmm. social media. Okay. Um, but what is really cool is that somehow, some way, I think the essence of who I am as a person somehow translates through these photos and through these <laughs> videos on Instagram mm. that when I do meet fans like backstage or something, I do end up having like these really crazy in-depth conversations. Like I can tell the people, they they do want to connect with me on another level and I'm there for it, you know, um, you know, energy willing of course Mm. but it's that's pretty cool in terms of like connecting with the fans but it's always like in real time it's not i can't like social media yeah it's not for everyone it's not for (laughs) but for people it is like i get it like i I do get it yeah yeah Okay, and you're you're pretty known for your moves behind the <laughs> DJ booth, you know the just shoulders, a bit. just a little bit, just a little bit. Where does that energy come from? Like, it's particularly day in, week in, week out, month in, yeah. month out, the traveling, the touring, you know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's like I just love music. Yeah, I love music and I love dancing. <laughs> and like, 
I just know that if I wasn't DJing and dancing, I would be going to shows and dancing. Yeah. That was like always what I did. I loved to dance. It I, was either you were going to be behind the booth or in front of the booth. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is like when when you're behind the booth, people don't talk to you as much, which is also nice. So. I always say, I like maintain and say, <laughs> DJing is like the perfect profession for introverted people who love music. Because it's like, I'm at the party, but I exactly. don't have to engage with exactly. anyone, you know? <laughs> exactly it. You're just like, this is the best place to be. <laughs> Absolutely. I always joke with my friends that like, if I'm out, if they're like, where's Kikin? It's like, probably somewhere like within a radius. But if she's not DJing, like somewhere close to the DJ move. It's like yeah. my safe space. You yeah, know? Like, I always just... like migrate that like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the connection with music is where is what brings. Oh, no, Jada totally. For, yeah. for sure. No, it's. And it's also what gets me into it, like mm -hmm. starting to move my body, move my energy around. Mm -hmm. It just allows me to connect with people as well. Mm -hmm. And I also do believe like, I really do believe actually that if people see me being myself, enjoying myself and mm -hmm. having a good time and, and letting it out in that way, yeah. they'll feel free to do the same, yeah. you know, because yeah. that is for me... Anyways, like going to clubs, dancing, that's what it is. Mm. It's it's a very, it's a release. It's yeah. a therapy, like a movement therapy, yeah. you know? So it's, I'm trying to create a little space for people to do the yeah. same thing. <laughs> and I mean, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, you know, there was a point where it was all these DJ live streams. Oh and, my you know, <laughs> Like, like respectfully, loved it. Thanks for supporting, you know, us during the difficult time, Seriously. but never again. <laughs> no, that was not my vibe. Some people were really into it, but yeah. that was not my cup of tea. Yeah. I was like, this is hard. Yeah. This, it's hard DJing for nobody. Yeah, to a camera. <laughs> but I mean, what specifically is it for you, as well as finding this footing in this world, finding our footing in this world, what is it specifically about the live music experience that you connect with? Ooh, yeah, you know, oh man, it was funny because I just like, I just had an experience where it reminded me of that. I just yeah. um, came back from Brazil, I had this little mini tour over there and there was this point where we all just hit at the same time mm -hmm. energetically, mm -hmm. you know, like where I was feeling the music, they were feeling the music. <laughs> We were all feeling the music at the same time, mm -hmm. in the same space, and you knew that they were feeling it, you know? And that's a creation of oneness mm -hmm. and connection. And that that's what it is to be human, mm -hmm. is to connect. And I think that's what I'm constantly striving for, mm -hmm. like in live music and my own DJ sets, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And we've like talked all the way through your growth as an artist from from spinning records in, in you know, bootleg radio stations in <laughs> Berlin to traveling the world and getting Grammy nominations. I mean, if you could look back at your 10-year-old self, like oh the chubby, the chubby yeah. thick glasses oh, yeah. with the pigtails, which I think Loki is a look, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell yourself? Oh my gosh, just keep being you. Yeah. Don't worry about the rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, yeah, that's what I would say to her. Cute. What an incredible conversation. It was such a pleasure to get to know Jada G. And luckily, she made my job that much easier because she's genuinely a lovely person. 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And that was it for part two of our Electronic Beats Conversation series. This Electronic Beats Conversation was produced by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. On Thursday, we'll be back with a new episode of the week. So hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode.